as we continue this morning, looking at the book of Deuteronomy, the various addresses that Moses gave to the people as they were getting ready to enter into the land. We read this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them onto your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thank you so much, Dr. John Ollie. Uh, Dr. John Ollie, before you go, did you write a commentary on that? I think he might have written a commentary on that. And I think the amazing thing is that um, I'm a young woman, half his age, and he is very happy to walk off the stage and let me take this message when he is this amazing expert. I hope that when I am twice my age, I am as humble as that. Don't you think he's pretty cool? Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What a beautiful reading. And thanks to John for doing that for us. Good morning, church. My name is Yvette Cherry, and it's a pleasure to be sharing with you from God's Word this morning. And it's just a pleasure, actually, to be with you. And I feel close to tears this morning. Um, not really sure why, but I think it's just at the being in the presence of my brothers and sisters. Don't worry about the tears. I specialize in the ministry of tears, so we should be okay. I wonder if you can remember a time in your life that was really, really full, really busy. Maybe you were looking after someone who was unwell. Maybe you were studying the last of your exams to get your degree, um, doing a, a prac. I remember pracs were really hard. Um, caring for someone. Have you ever been in a time in your life where you just felt really tired? and that maybe you could just sleep for days. I did a little practice of this with my husband, and he was like, oh yeah, it's me right now. He'd just been in Darwin for work at 4 a.m. starts, and um, yeah, he was tired. He's with the kids this morning. Back in March of uh, 2011, my third daughter, Amelia, was born. 
While she was a beautiful, healthy baby, I remember I found that to be a really difficult stage of life. If you can imagine my life as a pie chart, or better still, an actual pie, and we divide it into slices of what got what time, breastfeeding got an enormous chunk of pie, and then school run and lunch boxes and, and then cleaning the house, um, they all got a fairly significant amount of pie. Sleep got a tiny little, little bit of pie, and spending time with God at that stage in my life just got a slither of pie. I specifically remember one afternoon of hanging millions of tiny items of clothing on the line. And I started thinking about how I wasn't doing a very good job of being a Christian, about how God was getting such a tiny bit of the pie that was my life. I grew up attending Sunday school, and there's a song burned in my memory um, that goes like this. I'm going to sing it for you. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Does anyone know that song? And you'll grow, grow, grow. When we were practicing, Lisa, stop there, stop there. (laughs) So I'll stop there. But the next verse, it goes, forget your Bible, neglect to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. How scary! For a kid who took things really quite literally. How scary! You'll shrink. And it's also a tad legalistic, but I didn't understand that at the time, and it didn't, I didn't understand that for quite a long time after. I think I believed, even as a 30-year-old woman, that life as a Christian meant following a pretty tight formula. Pray, read your Bible, grow. Give God a slice of your life. And as I hung out all those tiny clothes on the line, I was in a fatigue and a hormone-induced dark place that made me question whether being a follower of Jesus was worth it. I wasn't doing the Bible reading, and I wasn't having a solid prayer time very often at all. I was just too tired, and I remember feeling so guilty about that and pretty worried about shrinking, worried about how little of the pie God was getting. I really didn't believe that I was loving God with all my heart, soul, and strength. In those days, I barely had the strength to get out of my pajamas. I wonder if there are some among us who might confess that God isn't getting a very big slice of the pie. I wonder if there are beautiful people among us who would say they wished that God was getting a bigger bit of the pie, but it's just really too hard right now. So this morning we're in Deuteronomy, in message number two of our series. Last week, Brian Harris looked at how God told the Israelites that it was time to move on from Mount Horeb, saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. And I found that to be a really beautiful and quite challenging message. In part two of this series today, I want to look at the verses that we read just now, specifically honing in on Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, which read... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to consider what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. But before we do that, I'd love to pray. 
And before I do that, in the, in the spirit of, of good integrity, I'd also love to say that I love listening to a preacher called Jeff Mannion. And as I was preparing for this message, I listened to one of his, and he had just some beautiful ideas and illustrations. And I was like, I have to take them, Jeff, but I'm going to give you the credit. So some of the thoughts and ideas that I have this morning come from listening, me listening to Jeff Mannion, and I encourage you to check him out. Let's pray. Good and loving God, we ask that by your spirit, our hearts will be opened to be transformed by the examples given in the Bible, particularly as we look today at the story of the Israelite people, your first people, as they learned how to love and follow you. Amen. So let's begin by looking at these verses in context. We'll set them in their context. And you'll see if you've got your Bibles open that the exhortation toward love given to the nation of Israel come just after Moses reminds them of the Ten Commandments, the rules for the people living in relationship with their creator God. I am a really big rules follower. I always have been. So my sisters and I grew up in this beautiful little seaside town of Yelling Up. You've been to Yelling Up? So Yelling Up is really built on a hill. All the houses go up the hill. And underneath is, is limestone. It's right on lots of limestone throughout that area. And at the back of my uncle's house, my sister and I used to go up into the national park and there was this little hole in the ground. And we climbed down the hole with our torches and it would go down and down and down and down. And so we didn't even tell dad we were going because it was the 80s. Well, we'd be deep in the earth in this cave, just, you know, discovering this cave. It was awesome. We would have gone there hundreds of times. Later, when we, we were 18 and 19, we decided to take some friends to our cave. So we parked at my uncle's house, head up the back, and then I discovered, we discovered when we got there, at the little mouth of the cave, there's this sign that says, you must not enter this cave. You need a permit to enter the cave. And I was like, well, we can't go in. We need a permit. And my sister's like, are you kidding me? We've been down this cave hundreds of times. So she took our friends down the cave, and I sat at the top of the cave and waited for them to come out. And then they teased me for ages. We need a permit. We need a permit. I am a really big rules follower. Are you? Some of you are. The book of Deuteronomy contains a lot of rules. It contains instructions and reminders for the people as they attempt to live a life of obedience to God. In fact, if you're a word nerd like me, when the um, title slide was up last week when Pastor Brian was preaching, and I was paying attention, but every now and then I was trying to make a word out of the word Deuteronomy, make different words like that game on TV. And I discovered that if you mix all the words Deuteronomy, you get the phrase, one more duty. One more duty. I think that's pretty fun. Because at a surface level, it could appear that Deuteronomy is a fairly dry book of duties for the people. But I hope that as we look at it further, we'll see that it's not that at all. As I mentioned earlier, we set uh, chapter 5... Um, we see in chapter 5 that Moses summons all the Israelites and he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, the rules that have been given to them as they learn to follow God. These rules form the basis of their covenant agreement between God and the people. And you're probably familiar with the Ten Commandments, so I'm just going to put them on the screen and they're going to be up there in really, really abbreviated format while I'm speaking. 
those were the rules of the people. I want to spend a moment looking at the purpose of the rules, who they're given to and why. So first of all, let's remember that this is not the first time the people have been given the rules. Back in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, we learn of how God rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He takes them out to the desert where they wander for 40 years before the point where we see them again here in Deuteronomy. In Exodus, the people receive the Ten Commandments after they've been in the desert only about three months. God frees them from their enslavement in Egypt, gets them to relative safety in the desert, and then he lays the rules out for them, saying, this is how you live in relationship with me. This is how you love me. This is how you follow me. And the first really important thing that I want us to observe and remember about this is that God rescues his people before he gives them the rules. Let me say that again. God rescues his people before he gives them the rules. Imagine a family who want to adopt a baby. And they go to the adoption agency and there's a baby for them. And they say to the adoption agency, oh, well, we'll have them home on a trial period. And if they can obey our rules, then we'll keep them. It doesn't work like that in adoption, does it? No, the family goes and they bring the child home and they love the child. And as they love the child and instill in the child a sense of belonging, then they teach them, this is how you get along as part of our family. These are the rules of our family. But rules are important too. They show us how to live in right relationship with God, how to flourish in the world. The rules show the rescued people how to relate to the rescuer. The Ten Commandments give the given to the Israelites show the people how to live in right response to God, the God who has rescued them and claimed them as his own. But sometimes rules trip us up, don't they? Or maybe more specifically, our attitude toward rules. It's easy to obey rules when we see how they work for our good, but I think there'll always come times in our lives when we start to doubt whether the rules really are in our best interest. At the beginning of the message, I told you how I was standing under the washing line, hanging millions of tiny items of clothing. Nearly all of them were pink. Let's go back there now. You can relate to that, yeah? yeah. So I'm under the washing line in a fog of sleeplessness, and mild postnatal depression, contemplating whether maybe I might just give up on a life of being a Christian. I reasoned that my non-Christian friends never felt guilty for not spending time with God, and that if I turned my back on God, I'd be able to join them in this guilt-free life. But as I stood under the washing line, I decided to do a review of the facts of my faith. And it didn't take me long to come to the simple conclusion that Jesus had rescued me. Jesus is who he says he is, the son of the living God. And he bought me at a price and he rescued me into an eternal life. For me, that was and still is undeniably true. God rescued me before he asked me to obey him. 
quite an epiphany just for watching, you know, quite, quite to get from, I think I'm going to give up, a lot of clothes to hang to the end, like, no, he rescued me. I'm not walking away from Jesus. You and I, we belong to God. Our obedience to God becomes our response to knowing that we are loved and we belong to him. I contemplated that for a moment, and before I hung the last tiny sock, I said a simple prayer. God, this way I have of relating to you, it's not really working. Please teach me a better way. Please help me to have a deeper, more faithful, more intimate relationship with you. Amen. And over God, over time, God answered my prayer. God started to show me that actually my life in God doesn't fit the metaphor of a slice of pie. God began to show me that I was thinking about it wrong. My relationship with God shouldn't and couldn't really be measured by a slice of pie. Instead, I began to understand God as the pie tin. The pie tin. It forms, it shapes, and it molds the pie. If my life is the pie and God is the pie tin, then God gets to be part of every moment of my day. God is forming, shaping, and molding my life as I sit at home, when I walk along the road, when I lie down, when I get up. I am in God, and God is in me. In this way of thinking, it's possible to love God with all our hearts, with all our soul and all our strength. If we love God through the way we parent our children and grandchildren, through the way we work, through our relationships, through the way we rest and with our gifts, it is possible to give God the whole of us. As I reflect on that time under the washing line, I know now that I should not have felt so guilty. I had been loving God and spending time with God all along in the way that I cared for my family, in my friendships, in my work. I didn't need to feel so guilty. Our key passage this morning begins with the words, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word hear in Hebrew is the word shema. Shema means more than just hearing. It encompasses the act of both listening and obeying. To hear God without putting into effect God's commands is to not hear God at all. So in this verse, Moses is exhorting the people to both listen and to obey. So how do we listen to God in order to obey? And how do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength? I think one thing that has helped me enormously as I moved from my, into my 30s, after experiencing that short, dark night of the soul under the washing line, is a growing understanding that we can hear from God in all kinds of different ways, and that we can abide with God in a vast number of ways. Spending time reading our Bible and in prayer is really important, but it's not the only thing that we can do to be abiding in Christ. And so through a bit of study and reading, I began to learn there are many different ways. Different ways to spend time with God, to listen to him, and to do life with God. 
And I learned that there are ways that we can love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And I'd love to just briefly touch on some of these ways before I close the message this morning. So in a moment, some ways you can spend time with God and tune into God's gentle voice in your life. These ways align with the command to love God with our heart, soul, and strength. In Hebrew culture, the heart represents the center of intelligence. Modern people might say that this is the mind, and that's good too. But either way, God is asking us to love him with our intellect. When the writers of the Gospels refer to the Shema, they also include the word mind. And I found it fun this morning that when I I opened my phone, um, my verse for the day was the same verse in Matthew. I was like, thanks God, that's cool. Um, So this verse comes up a lot throughout the Gospels, and sometimes they use the word mind. Um, The heart might also refer to the tender parts of us that feel love and affection. The soul refers to the invisible parts of our being including our will and our, and our senses, and our strength, I think that can refer to our physical bodies. The command asks us to love God with all our essence and all our expression. So here are some practical ways that you can spend time with God. And we are amongst us a, a, a great variety of people. We have different personalities, different interests, and different skills, um, different passions, and, and different ways that we love to spend, spend time. So some of these might um, resonate with you more than others. So let's go through just five of them, and I'm going to call these abiding styles. If you do a little bit of research, you'll find there's many more than what I'm about to say, but here's some. So first of all, contemplative style. So contemplative style, um, it will be like you know you spending time with God, maybe outdoors, maybe on a bushwalk, and it might be a prayer walk as you walk along the beach. It might be simply just with God, enjoying nature, feeling God refresh you in that way. Who loves to do that? Who finds that that's their abiding style? I know Von, I know it's Von's because sometimes she Instagrams it and I'm like, that's how Von loves to be with God. You can pray, obviously that's important that you pray, but there are many different ways to pray. And one contemplative way to pray is to just simply sit And rather than other kinds of meditation, just to let the thoughts in your mind go by. And I like to put my hands down. And then when I have a kind of a worrying thought, I just turn them up. And I give that to you, God. And I just sit in the silence with God. And just be with God. Silence is really important for a contemplative person. You could write in a journal. And your journal might reflect where you saw God at work in that day. You can meditate on a word or a verse. Um, you can just you can listen to Colin Buchanan real quietly when you drive your kids around. Intellectual style. So read a commentary, read a really meaty blog. Sometimes Brian writes some really meaty blogs in reading. Ah, yeah, that really helped me understand God better. Listen to some sermons online. There's just so many. If you miss church one week, listen to a Kerry sermon. Listen to someone like Jeff Mannion. His sermons go for 50 minutes. And they're full of context, so I really like them because I really like that kind of meaty, like deep stuff. Um, Read a book, a theological book, listen to a theological podcast, things like that. Engage your mind. Some people are really deep, deeply intellectually thinkers. Serving style. If you're a person who senses God's nearness when you're serving, then serve away. Volunteer at a shelter, sign up for a roster at church, join the SES, 
whatever suits your passion um, and your skill, and while you're doing it, just know that you're doing it for God. Feel God's nearness as you pour people's cups of tea. You know, sense that God is right there with you as you're doing that. That is loving your God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your strength. Fourthly, relational style. So you just might love being with people, you know, and when two or more gather, there I am, Jesus says. So when you're praying with someone, um, when, you're, when you're with people in, in the worship rehearsal, being with others, doing a Bible study together might be really important to you. You're giving your time to God. And then lastly, charismatic style. You experience God through various manifestations of God's spirit, maybe in worship, through speaking in tongues, um, through prophetic words and, and other ways like that. So it's good to find your primary abiding style and really lean into it, you know, because that is how God made you. He made you in that way to spend time with him. But then it's also good to, to try out the others that don't come as naturally to you because you might find that there are ways that you go deeper with God and deeper in your spiritual life. As we respond to God by offering him our whole lives, we begin to be shaped by God. Let's not think of our relationship with God as giving God one small part of our day. Our relationship with God is not like giving God a slice of pie. A relationship with God is allowing God to be more like the pie tin, shaping us, molding us, and creating us to be who he would have us be. The Israelite nation experienced God's great rescue when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He rescued them, and then he taught them how to live in relationship with him as his own people. Jesus rescued us out of slavery too. In his death on the cross, he rescued us. And our response to him is to listen to God and to obey him not driven by a sense of obligation to rule-keeping, not with any sense of guilt, but motivated by our love for him and expressed in every aspect of our lives. In closing, I'd like to say the words of the Shema together. Um, in, in Jewish faith, the Shema is a very central part of the prayer life of the people. So they say it in the morning, accompanied by a range of prayers, and they say it again in the evening. And often um, they say it with their hands over their face, as you'll see like that. I want to say it together. So you can put your hands over your face if you like, but you might want to follow along with the words. So um, perhaps if you can stand. Let's say this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen.